All right. Hey, Alan, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ray. How are you? Got it. I'm doing fantastic. I just love that music. That's just uh, an original <laughs> score, right? Yeah. <laughs> here, sure here, here we are, a Void Crisis podcast, episode seven, Wednesday, April the 19th. We're recording about, you know, one or so in the afternoon. Um, but uh, lots happened since then. And I, I think the biggest one that I'm the most excited about is that music. That was awesome. You want to share anything about that? Or how how'd we, how'd we get that? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it was an inspired piece. Um, just trying to say, okay, if you're going to go into this uh, podcast, how do you prepare? I mean, you have to kind of like get in the mood, right? So uh, I was kind of thinking, what, what would convey that that sort of urgency to be thinking about the right things? And I just kind of sat down at the, the piano and I, I thought, you know, I'm just going to start off with something simple because a lot of times, you know, the crisis really does kind of develop from something simple. So it just really was just, you know, kind of hitting this, um, this initial note. And uh, ultimately uh, you get a lot more confusion going into it and you get a lot of uh, where is this going? Um, you know, what's going to happen? There's a lot of angst that's there and ultimately it resolves itself with a, just a very nice major chord. Um, what I was exactly. taught by my mother, she's like, always make sure you end on, um, you know, a, the note C. So that's what I tried to do. So anyone that wants to try to replicate that, you know, you start with C, you end with C. Um, think about it from avoid crisis. You know, where do we start is always an important part. And uh, boy, we've got a lot of things to talk about today. We've got a lot of continuation with the banks. Yep, um, yep. A lot of things to talk about there. Well, I, um, I, and one one last quick comment on the music. I like mm -hmm. C notes too, <laughs> Benjamins. Um, but uh, I'm go. I'm not a musically inclined guy, and I'm just super impressed by that. I want to give kudos to you and credit where credits due. And as a, again, as a as a non musician amateur, one of the things I really like about that it's the buildup of that pace, which is how it happens mm -hmm. a lot of times as crisis builds as as things mm -hmm. come together right in there there's almost i don't know what the right word and terminology you can but there's almost like a little discord in there almost like oh god you hit the wrong note right but then you actually use that note later to resolve it and as and as it, as it flows out of the other side and um i just thought this is brilliant you, you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah you know um what that actually represents uh, if you're to kind of take it as a parallel is that there is even in the middle of a crisis some unknown that kind of surfaces right it, you're not expecting it um all of a sudden there's a, a new piece of information and what do you do how do you deal with it unfortunately at least in the intro piece here it got resolved but are we going to get all our crises resolved maybe not i mean you know um I mean, let's go back right, over right. what we're talking about just in the podcast. Let's, 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 let's jump into the let's jump into the meat. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, thanks, but please do that. Can, yeah, just the, you know, I mean, well, you know, the thing is, is that when we talk about avoiding crisis, we've said about how it's really important to to observe what's happening around you and to really think and think about what you're hearing. You know, do you take just a single source? Um, you know, we suggest not. You should do a lot more homework. Um, do a lot of thinking about uh, what's going on and then make some decisions. And then once you've made those decisions, then you have to act on them. Um, I think that one of the things we're seeing right now, at least from the bank 
banking crisis, uh, we still see a lot of fallout from um, Silicon Valley Bank, certainly here in California, um, Signature Bank. We've got, uh, you know, issues that continue to surface from crypto. Um, you know, we have the FTX, which has not at all been completely vetted out. Um, just recently here this week, we've had uh, Congress really grilling the SEC, you know, is this to be regulated from commodity? Is this to be regulated from securities? You know, is crypto security? We have a lot of these questions. Um, but it brings up a lot of some of the topics that we've talked about because we have a lot of information and we have a lot of changes. And so putting this into perspective of regulatory as an example, right now what we have is a lot of discussion going on on artificial intelligence, right? We talked about it in our last podcast where we talked about what's happening to your job or potentially going to happen to your job and how should you prepare yourself right now? And so one of the other things we're also right now is that there should be more regulation in artificial intelligence. But think about how much regulation we have right now in crypto. And I'm going to draw a little parallel here, which is on artificial intelligence. When it comes to regulation, what you have to do, first of all, is you have to really understand it. You can't regulate it if you don't understand it. We think about just the regulation on the banks and we think about regulatory failures in the banks, which are more easily understood. Crypto isn't as easily understood. Certainly neither is artificial intelligence. But this regulatory lack of oversight right now in both crypto and artificial intelligence is exactly what can lead to a crisis. When it's not regulated, what ends up happening? Um, you have a lot more risk in the system. And when you have systemic risk, there's going to be negative outcomes. Mm -hmm. great, great, great points. I mean, continually as society has evolved and advanced, um, laws and regulations have always been behind. It, it's just inherent. It's inherent in how we live. Um, the issue that's coming up here is that these things are happening faster and faster and faster. The dissemination of information and the ability for people to act with computers and the internet and you got it on your phone, it's constantly with you. Um, it, it, it's really hard to, to deal with this when our legislative process and our laws and all that are still doing things the old way where you got a bunch of 70 and 80 year old guys that fly to DC and, you know, try to figure it out <laughs> and it takes them months and years to come up with something. And you think some bunch of guys over there who are 70 or 80 are going to figure out what all these 20 and 30 year olds are doing over in, you know, Silicon Valley and, you know, the, the, tech, the Silicon Triangle and all that, Boston, Atlanta, et cetera, Austin, Seattle. No, I mean, they're going to be behind forever. And so I think and what usually happens is a disaster. It's some sort of crisis, right? That is going to happen with it. it with, we had a, we have a lot of volatility and turbulence with crypto. Something's going to big is going to blow up with AI. We haven't figured out what it is yet, but it's predictable. We just don't know what that is going to be yet. And um, then, then they're going to get a little more urgency of how they're going to try to regulate it. Um, the thing that I talking about AI, the, the thing that, that I'm always remind, remind myself is that it's 
called OpenAI, and it's called OpenAI for a reason. <laughs> Anything you type in, it is capturing and learning. So you put in names, company names, certain stuff. You put in facts about those companies, whatever. That's it. That AI now knows all that. And it's pulling that in with all the inf other information it's getting to build its knowledge base. And computers don't forget. So you got all these people pumping stuff into, you know, chat GPT to try to see what it's going to output to them. Are they putting in personally identifiable information? Are they putting in confidential information? Are they putting in stuff that you wouldn't basically wouldn't want blasted on the front page of the internet? And I'll bet you they are. And I'll bet you something's going to blow up with regard to that. Well, well, certainly, you know, this regulatory issue that we're talking about is that there's certain things that even if you were to look at regulatory rules, let's say for artificial intelligence, there would be one thing that would really stand out, which is that it would need to be authentic and it would not be able to somehow produce a false narrative. And yet we've already determined just from some different experience right now that um, as an example, an, an artist's song could be performed by a different artist who's never recorded it. You know, so they take someone's voice they take someone's sound they can duplicate their their uh, their image in a sense they can duplicate their sound um they can present them as though they're a real person now this might be great for commercials you know eliminates the the need to have actors anymore you just go ahead and you know take the avatars and let them do the commercials maybe that's a solution there i don't know uh but it really creates this whole thing about what is the truth of the identity and if you think about copyright protections and everything, there's a crisis that's going to come from a legal perspective when it comes to uh, artificial intelligence. And that's all in the absence of regulation. It takes a long time for things to work through the courts. I want to go back to something that you started into, though, which I think is really timely and relevant. And you started to go down the path a little bit about our elected officials and how they're dealing with you know, different uh, needs of the day. One of the needs of the day we have right now is kind of related to the debt ceiling, I would say. And uh, oh also my. taking a late, you know, All just right. go ahead. Here we go. There right. we go. Okay, let's go. <laughs> right on. All right. You, that's it. You're just you're just gonna poke me and let me go now, or what? Or you wanna or you wanna get you're, your piece in? Because I'm I got some no, stuff. No, no, no. I, I wanna I wanna hear you, right? Go ahead. All right, here we go. Um I was reading a piece on this uh, a couple days ago. And I, I do have to apologize. I'm a little rough around the edges, tax filing deadline. I was up past midnight last night, you know, hitting the, hitting, getting stuff in as much as we can. So I didn't do as much reading deep into it as I wanted to, but it was a wonderful uh, uh, piece. And it, it, what caught my eye was with regard to how is the debt ceiling and the tax filing season related? And okay. So we know about the debt ceiling issue. This comes up all the time, every cycle, right? Every couple cycles, whatever. And it's really funny how it's always the party who doesn't control the White House that always screams and cries about how we spend beyond our means. But boy, I'll tell you, as soon as they've got the power, uh, not a problem. We got to do this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, okay, politics aside, let's talk pure numbers and cash flow. Okay. So government has to figure out janet yellen has to figure out how do we keep paying our bills without getting a increase in our credit limit on our credit card and so 
one of the ways that you can get more runway is you get more cash flow in. So this April 18th deadline is really big. I mean, a bunch of money just came in in the last day or two, maybe even today or tomorrow if their ACH is in the delay, whatever this week. Also, that was the 2022 just, tax payment. You're just talking about you're, you're talking about the first quarter estimate needing to go in by uh, generally April 15th. Now been moved to April 18th because of the because of the weekend. The weekend, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that cash yeah, exactly. flow coming in then. Go ahead. Right. So that that cash flow coming in. So now what they have to count on is what was that final payment by April 15th for the 2022 filing season. What what also on the same day was due was the first quarter of 2023's estimated tax payments. And then the second quarter is going to be June due June 15th, which is going to all be within this cycle. They're not going to have this resolved by then. And they do have to have it resolved by the third quarter payment, which is September 15th. Okay. So they're trying to figure out what are we going to collect on 2022 filings? What are we going to collect Q1 and Q2 estimates? And by the way, the real big wage earners, the real big earners, income tax people, they're paying estimated payments. They're not, you know, they're not having it taken out of their W-2 paycheck, right? You know, we're talking a few more zeros on these numbers. Which state, Alan, do you think out of the 50 states in the union, which state do you think pays the most income tax, federal income tax? So I kind of have to think about it from population and wage earnings. And I'm narrowing it down to four states right now. And I'm thinking New York. Illinois, Texas, and California. So one of those four. And I think a lot of people moved out of New York, so I'm going to cross them out. Um, I'm kind of debating here between California and Texas because I keep hearing about how many people are moving out of California and moving to Austin. So maybe there's a little bit of that. But I think even as, as I really think about it, I think it still comes down to California. Yeah. So... Let's just put it, let's focus on California because there's a really big thing that we got to put together here. Um, when all those atmospheric rivers were going through and we had the flooding and the mudslides and the trees falling down and the power outages and all the damage to property and stuff like that, um, FEMA declared federal disaster zones in a number of counties in California. And as a result of that, Treasury said, we're going to give you more time to file your returns. Well, then more rains came. And so they expanded the number of counties. And then more rains came and they expanded it again. Ultimately, it finally ended. They go, look, there's 44 counties that are covered by the FEMA federal disaster declarations. 44 California counties, the most populous counties, by the way, um, including all around the Los Angeles area and all around the San Francisco Bay Area, um, the, the population centers. And they said, forget it. We're giving you automatic, everybody, every taxpayer there, every individual, every trust in the state, C Corp, S Corp, LLC partnership, not for profit. I don't care what you are. Any tax filings you got to do, not payroll tax, any income tax filings you got to do. They are now due October the 16th of 2023. This is IRS notice CA-2023-01-02 and-03. So 
they added a twist that they hadn't done before. Not only do you have more time to file your taxes, you have until October 16th to pay any taxes. So what's the strategy now? So I owe, so, so, and I've been advising my clients, you, you owe money for, for 2022. It's not really due on February, um, April 15th anymore, April 18th this year, because the weekend it's now due on October 16th. Go buy a six month CD at four point something low 5% guaranteed, right? FDIC insured, earn your interest on that money and send it to the government in October. What's how is how so are think, the 44 people, yeah. 44 counties, all that tax money being deferred right. to October? How is that going to affect the debt ceiling discussion and the runway on the cash flow? I, I don't think that it was an intended consequence. I don't think that they really thought of it. Um, but that's also how crises can happen. That's right. Um, but I, I'm going to make a little bit of a parallel here, too. Um, remember that ultimately what you're saying is now the Fed. And I'm just going to make it simple. I'm going to just call it the IRS. The IRS has an accounts receivable from a lot of different entities and individuals, right? Mm -hmm. It's an accounts receivable. They don't have the cash. The cash hasn't come in. Right. But they have debts that they need to pay or they have obligations they have to pay. And right. this is kind of similar in that it's paper in their view, right? It's not cash. It's paper. Remember when SBB looked like only the insured depositors were going to get their money and the FDIC was going to give certificates. One of the points you made in the podcast was you can't pay payroll with IOUs. And right. the same thing is true here with the government. The government can't pay its obligations with the receivable of taxes. And so now without the raise of the debt ceiling, uh, how are they going to make the payments? And let's just talk about what this means from, looking at it from a financial crisis uh, potential here. Cause I mean, we're talking about how to avoid crisis and, uh, and by the way, I'm going to add one other thing just to say about the possibilities. I don't see anything where people are giving us uh, odds on you know, what's the likelihood of different events, but I'm going to mention this. And that is that as a society in America, we've gotten accustomed to the idea that this is noise. So we hear that, oh, you know, there's going to be potentially the need to raise the debt ceiling. There's going to be the possibility of a government shutdown and we don't worry about it. My thought was, how many times is this going to happen to where we start to react sort of like that story, the boy that cried wolf? And right. we don't think that this can happen. But the U.S. is now looking at potentially for the first time ever having a default on debt. Right. And and there was the government shutdown. Gosh, I forget when that was. It was quite a while ago. And it was very disruptive. Government services went down. Payments were barely going out. The, the, the government, the federal government's debt rating took, took a little ding for a while on that. The, the, the market was not happy about it at all. Um, so, yeah, I, the debt ceiling issue, I think, is going to come to roost at least a month, maybe two months sooner than they anticipate because of the lack of cash flow from these 44 counties in California. It's probably a big number. Um, it's probably a big number. I'm, and, you know, are they able to even kind of estimate it? I mean, if you were in their shoes, wouldn't you be trying to estimate it and say what's the impact? You were. You, they, they will. And the other, the other issue there that I've read in some different places – 
that the 2022 tax returns, 2021 actually had a big pop in a lot of people's income and cash flow because the market had tanked in uh, in COVID. And by 21, it was starting to come back. There was a lot right. of capital gain reported in, sure. in the 2021 filing system. They're not right. going to, that's not that same level of capital gain being reported and taxed in 2022. So I think in general, the receipts should be lower than 2021. Now combined with take 44 counties in California out of it, they don't have to pay till October. And you got the debt ceiling crisis and this is all lined up to be a, you know, avoid crisis and they better keep their eye on this because it's going to be a it's going to be a good showdown. It's going to happen faster than people realize. Okay, so how do you how do you think about this, and how do you prepare for it in any way to avoid potentially having some negative impacts? How do you avoid a crisis here? You know, I, I come back to my my basics in this time because it, it it this is just going to be another push, I think, toward recessionary effect. Right. So the effect mm -hmm. on the global economy, it's, it's just going to be, God, we have too many things pushing us in that direction. It's just the, the recession is looking more and more when in some sectors it's already here, but, but it, it's happening. You're here about layoffs, you know, in various places. We've talked last episode about companies not being able to get funding like they used to. Um, you know, I've got clients doing fundraising now and it's really difficult. You know, a year and a half ago, it was a different story. And um, so what do you do? Uh, you really need to conserve the cash on your balance sheet. You need to tighten the belt. Now is not the time to go do risky things. Now is the time to be more conservative and to uh, keep your eye on that on the cash balance on the balance sheet. And uh, I guess another thing, too, is that we've talked about this before, which is to make sure you have your backstops. That might include looking to try to get additional lending lines or additional um, sources of cash um, and be prepared. Because if things are to slow down in the economy and we're also facing a credit contraction and lending standards are going to get more difficult to get a loan, now's a good time to be trying to make sure that you have the sources of funds. Mm-hmm. Get that line of credit lined up. Yeah. Um, you know, rates are a little bit higher right now, but you know, if if you can if you can lock in a you know a, a 10, 20, 30 year fixed, I mean, why not? And if rates go down significantly over you know a year or two, then fine. Um, pay you know, pay it down. But you anyway, know, that, that, it, that's your reaction to yeah. what do you do in this, you know, when you see these things lining up, what do you what do you do? You know, it's interesting, too, to think about this. Um, we've talked previously about moving deposits, and there was some news today that came out on Western Alliance, which was one of the banks that was really being looked at as a bellwether from the regionals. And I put this into the, into the whole observation that next week, on the 24th, we're going to hear from First Republic Bank. The earnings are going to come out. We're going to get a lot more details from that. But what was interesting about Western Alliance is even though their earnings were not the main driver of the reaction in the stock, the stock was down quite a bit. Some of their other regional banks, and it rallied up over 20% today, primarily based on what they saw in deposit activity. 
that they saw a lot of deposits moving into the bank. Um, so it'll be really interesting to watch what happens with First Republic. I think we go back to what we had mentioned before, saying there is this potential for potential short squeeze on the stock. It's been trailing down all the way into the somewhere between 10 and 15 range. And, um, you know, their earnings coming out next week, that could be a catalyst for uh, a movement up or down. But it is something to watch about what is their deposit outflow or inflow. And, um, you know, is the, is the potential ramifications of a contagion more contained as a result of how the government has helped to backstop the uninsured depositor by stepping in and guaranteeing the deposits effectively from Silicon Valley Bank uh, customers and then Signature Bank as well. And uh, has that been sort of an immediate sort of um, stalling of the potential of the crisis? I mean, has it completely taken us away from all the risk? I mean, are we out of the woods when it comes to this uh, this impact of the, the banks and the, the banking crisis that we're currently in? Obviously, we're not seeing the 2008 levels, but, you know, is it over or is there another shoe to drop? I, I, I think that the bank, air quote, banking crisis, right? Um, it was, I think, more psychological than fundamental. Um, this whole hold of maturity and, you know, unrealized losses on the income statement, et cetera, in normal times, without a run on the bank, SVB would have been fine, right? And it just let those bonds come to maturity. You're going to get full face value back for those. They're underwater now because you bought them when rates were 2% and an investor can go out today and buy one for, you know, five, six, seven percent So your 2% bond, it, you got to sell it at a discount if you need to convert it to cash. If you need liquidity, it's coming back to balance sheet management. If you need liquidity, a bunch of stuff lined up against SVB. They had to realize huge losses by selling bonds that were underwater. Okay, fine. But if the if the market would have said, oh, okay, I get it. Just everybody be cool, you know, and, and, and it, they would have come out fine. They did not. That contagion, that, that fear, again, I'm going to say it's psychological. It was, this isn't, in my mind, fundamental or mechanical. That fear spread across the industry and across similarly situated banks. So you've got Western Alliance, you've got First Republic. They got caught in that downdraft and they got their stocks got, got hit really hard. Well, now we're starting to find out, Western Alliance, that the flight of the depositors out, they might have gone out for a month or two. They're coming back in or it wasn't as bad as they thought. FRB, you know, stocks and ticker FRC, we don't know yet. We're going to find out in a couple of days when they announce their quarterlies. But, you know, just today, they're up over 12% as people are starting to realize, hey, wait a minute, maybe this isn't all as bad as we thought. So um, I don't think there's going to be more contagion. I think uh, the market's understanding better what's going on in the dynamic and a very rapidly rising interest rate environment that created this situation and they're just okay let it let it play out long as i'm fdic insured you all figure out the rest of it and this will all is going to work itself through the system in a, within a year or two 
Well, I know you're you're pointing to the impact on interest rates and the particular investments, and you know there there might have been other ways that uh, SVB could have maybe managed themselves to not have themselves in the kind of risk they were in, and maybe that's more we're going to learn once the SEC starts to talk a little bit about their findings. Um, I know that there are many people out there that still feel that there's individuals that need to be held accountable. Uh, we'll learn more as time goes on. But I think that looking at the overall banking contagion, it still seems as though money is flowing through the system. As you mentioned, it moves pretty fast. One of the questions I had was, you know, could it be possible that as people are trying to find ways to get to 250000 uh, protection from FDIC and moving into banks that some of the regional banks are getting deposits just based on that. But again, outflows, inflows based on deposits, we're going to have a big question comes up from analysts next week with uh, First Republic Bank. Where do you stand? Now, remembering that they had the $30 billion inflow from other banks supporting them, which helped to stem the possibility of them having a run that would have forced them into selling assets, uh, we should get more details on, on that. The overall reporting from the banks so far has been relatively favorable from an earnings standpoint, enhanced in part because of the net interest margin that they're working with now, but the cost of deposit is actually going up. So there's going to be compression on the contribution margin um, overall when it comes to their products. Um, and this kind of moves into something else I wanted to talk about, which was we had a major news event this last week, which I think has an impact on the global economy. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. China's economy grew at 4.5% in the first quarter, and that's the fastest pace in a year. And remember, this is the same country who was very strict with uh, COVID restrictions. They had those in place for nearly three years, and now they're starting to come out of that. This was a higher amount of... Uh, in, in the report than what was expected. So it starts to raise the question about, you know, as we talked about in the prior podcast, China's inflation rate is expected at 1%. When you see this kind of rapid growth, is that going to mean that we're going to start to see inflation from China? And if we start to see China inflation, is that going to be inflation worldwide? And, you know, you take a look at some of the other places that we talked about. I mean, Argentina with over 100% inflation rate and we're seeing inflation in other places like the UK, UK um, and yeah. the US yeah. Yeah, having uh, inflation as well. And mm -hmm. all that being put into perspective, we have their interest in Yeah, I think you're, you're breaking up a bit, Alan, but I think what we're uh, uh, hitting on there is that this is pressure that rates are going to continue to go up in the short term. Um, I don't see how with this level of inflation, uh, and as you say, the, the GDP growth in, in China, greater than it was before, but look, your base year is kind of weird, right? With the COVID shutdowns and all that stuff. Plus, if you talked 10 years ago about four point whatever percent GDP growth in China, you would have thought, what the heck's going on? How many, how many years, consecutive years did they have double digit GDP growth? Sure. Right. So so sure. so 4% is more normalized to what a a a more, if you will, developed or mature economy uh, will support. So 
you know, I think it's a manageable level on the China side. I think we are going to have some inflation effects in, uh, from China. The UK inflation over 10% surprised me. Um, Argentina's kind of a weird, unique situation, but it's that's off the charts. US is still higher than we want it to be. Um, that tells me as much as I'd like to, I'm having to go back and say, you know, what you want and what you're going to get are often two different things, right? Mick Jagger can't always get what you want. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get a po- a quarter point bump the next meeting, and you know, could it be a half a point? God, I hope not. But I think a quarter is is what we're going to get in the next uh, open market committee meeting. Um, so yeah, inflation is a is a it remains a big problem. It's got to get under control. And and to get it under control, it 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 has some pain. Higher interest rates, and they got to try to push some higher unemployment. You know, as you mentioned about um, the employment rates, and uh, I think that one of the things that's also happening is we're seeing a contraction in the number of jobs that are available. We heard for quite some time there were more jobs out there and they were going unfilled. Now it seems like a lot of those jobs are not even out there anymore. So you wonder if there's a contraction in spending that's happening. I think a number of uh, individuals are starting to tighten the belt. And, um, you know, one of the main things that we have that is still showing strong signs of inflation is in food prices. And food prices um, carry with them a certain amount of transportation costs, which is energy. And you take a look at how even now the price of oil is actually going down. So it makes you wonder why do we continue to have food inflation? Because, you know, we have better methods of production and um, you think that the inherent cost of transportation in the food is going down. Why is food prices or why are food prices continuing to rise? Uh, there's a few things on that, in my opinion. One is um, I've read somewhere that chi- uh, Russia and Ukraine provide 50-ish percent. I, don't quote me. I got I got to look that up. But a, a fair chunk, the largest chunk of, of, of the world's uh, wheat and grain uh, comes from those two countries. And the war, you know, Ukraine is is a big problem. Um, uh We've seen that that is now coming to full fruition. There may have been there might have been some reserves and things that people were, you know, using. But we're now full cycle over a year into this mess over there. And um, uh, we are going to see that here now with with this upcoming uh, you know harvest and season on that with with regard to, to, to grain from a transportation perspective. Right. We had OPEC plus announced, I believe it was a million barrel a day reduction in production. So, you know, supply and demand, price of oil is going to gonna, gonna get, has upward pressure on the price. It's going to be more expensive to transport all goods, including food. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the pressures on inflation that, that, that they, we've got it, we've got to get under control. And, um, you know, it, 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 we got it, it. It brings us back to the importance, I think, of local economy. You, you want to try to source your food. You want to try to source as much as you can, uh, particularly of tangible things. 
as close to you as possible. It's better for everybody. Are you saying we all need to start a garden to avoid crisis, right? Is that, is that where you're going with this? It's not a bad idea. I, I, okay. Absolutely. You're gonna, you, you'll avoid some crisis if you got a garden for a number of ways, right? <laughs> Raise your own chickens in the backyard. Hey, hey, we got it. We got um, it. We, we got it. We got it. We get our we get our eggs. Uh, not quite once a week uh, from a neighbor here who grows them right out there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, source them local. You know, last last week and earlier in the uh, the podcast, we had talked about Cash App um, in perspective of Block and how the Hindenburg report came out, and then unfortunately we also discussed about bob lee who created the cash app and his death and and uh and i think the thing about that you know without going into a lot more details certainly it's it's not really what we're trying to to get at but in that we talked about just when the information isn't available you you look and really look at what you're hearing one of the early perspectives of this was that you know, this was again how a city has lost control and crime is rising. And we know that crime is rising in a lot of urban areas. We know there's a lot of influence of drugs that has an impact to that. But then there's also a lot of influence in social media. I don't know if you saw what happened in Chicago with the teen takeover, but it was uh, the second time when these mobs of teens uh, just basically ran wild in the city. And there were people that were hurt from that. And um, we talked before about how um, we have gun violence and we have many uh, examples of where that's happened and how people have even started to avoid being in places where there's large crowds. You know, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on on this whole impact of social media to energize people um, in whatever direction? And how do you uh, how do you think of that? Yeah, look, it- Social media and all of these things are they're tools. They're they're not they are not themselves inherently good or evil. It's how they are used and who they are used by and what they are used for. Um you know, I I I'm gonna I don't wanna go here, but I'm just gonna mention a quick analogy. Guns. You're gonna get polarized feelings on both sides, how they're great and wonderful and everybody should have one and how they're horrible and all these other bad things. But a gun in itself is not inherently a, a problem. It, it, you know, um, what what the, the the thing with a lot of this stuff, and they've had those flash mobs doing crazy stuff in, in a lot of major cities. Uh, San Francisco had a run of them for a while, and they seem to have, have controlled that lately. Um, it, behaviors have to have consequences. Part of this problem in with, with this in particular in California is in an effort to relieve prison population in an effort to um, give more opportunity for people to rehabilitate um, and, and, and to not get them, you know, felonies offhand. They raised the limit, right. To, I think what over a thousand bucks or whatever that was. And law enforcement sure. said then when that initiative was on the California ballot, how that was going to affect crime rates. And a lot of law right. enforcement was against it. Mm-hmm. But the liberal, soft-hearted, you know, and what, he said, no, 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 we think this is a great idea. Prisons are too populated. The justice system's not fair to, to the populations. And so let's try this. Well, here's my opinion. We tried it. Dude, it's not working. 
we got to untry it. Let's yeah. un let's go to proposition to undo that thing because it's not working. And most people are frustrated with it, uh, most law-abiding people. So I come back to the notion that behaviors have to have consequences. If they don't, then people are going to do whatever they want, whatever lawlessness they want. And I'm I'm not a you know super hard right you know person on this uh, in general, but you can't. It can't be freewheeling. There's a middle point. Yeah. And with a pendulum has swung, I think, too far the other way. And that's why you have this this thing going on. The other part is, is yeah. they're 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 disenfranchised, I think, in general with sure. our society, right? I mean, they're they're they got a bigger mess with you know climate change and with the economy and all kinds of stuff than what it, right. than what their parents dealt with. So they're they're not so, real happy. Yeah, and a recession's not gonna help that. You know, no, so it's, it's not, only going to make it in, in poverty uh, and the separation between the wealthy and the poor. That doesn't help either. But yeah. one other thing I want to I want to circle back with with this whole topic and, and kind of talk about something that I haven't seen in any kind of write ups about artificial intelligence at this point. I want to raise this as a, something to be thinking about. Let's take artificial intelligence and let's take that learning. And let's take whatever those social media profiles that somebody has out there, which are a part of that learning, and then get into the whole predictive capabilities of artificial intelligence. What ends up happening when law enforcement starts to use the tools of artificial intelligence and to what end? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm just going to uh, pose God, what, that as a question that? for you. Just going to let you think on that. The, what was the name of that movie? where they had those two sentient beings in those pods and they could predict crimes before they happened. And then they, um, minor, was it minority report, yeah. something like that. And, and then, and then they would, they would be able to predict the futures and they would go arrest the person before the crime happened before and it was murder because murder was such a crime of passion that the emotion would go out and these, these beings could, could sense it. And so they, hooked up their brains and they they got it and they then they could go drop in within a certain narrow window of time and arrest the person before they right before they committed the murder um yeah so you know hey can can ai start trolling no, i'm not trolling can ai start uh harvesting uh re searching social media and identifying trends that could lead to crime i think that's a that, that's it. I'm okay with that. It's public information. Why not? Um, but that's a that's a great a great topic. We got we'll, we got to dig into that one a little more. I think we're starting to bump up on time here. Um, I, I do I, have I wanted, something I wanted to ask you about. Let, you started get, off with with something. Get this, and then I'm gonna the I'm gonna I'm gonna get a tease for next episode. I'll let you go with your ask first. Okay. Let's hear it. Okay, so so you talked about how FEMA and it delayed the payments, et cetera, and we had all right. this uh, all this uh, water, right? But now we have all the snow. That snow is going to melt. Where's all the water going to go? I mean, because we have a hot summer on the way, right? And that water has nothing to control it. If there isn't a dam to hold the water back, right. there isn't a reservoir. And this water is going to be going to a lot of different places. I mean, right. what's going to happen? Right. And then the, the ground is pretty saturated already. It's it, it, the, the percolation down is not really going to happen. So, you know, you're going to get rivers that are going to be overflowing. Um, 
we, we had uh, last year, right, um, up in near Oroville, that dam that darn near broke. It took that town out. Mm -hmm. um, but right. we're going to have some disasters like that here in uh, California. Um, states where this, you know, we've had these had these problems. Um, Tulare Lake, T-U-L-A-R-E. Uh, in the Central Valley of California. It's uh, south of Fresno, north of Bakersfield. At one time, Tulare Lake was the largest freshwater lake west of the Mississippi. So if you think about that, that Lake Tahoe is a pretty damn big lake. Tulare Lake was bigger than surface area, bigger than Lake Tahoe. Um, it basically disappeared. It was got, it very deep or was it not uh, very deep? Was it pretty uh, much... I don't think it was very deep, but it was, it, okay. it couldn't have been super deep, right? Cause that land's not that deep. It's, it's a, it's a flat pan Valley, right? Central right. Cal Central California. Um, but at the same time, that gives it a lot of opportunity to spread real fast. Right. Sure. So with all the rain we got that, if you, you go ahead and Google it, it, it's a lot of that town, a lot of those farms and fields are underwater right now. The highways mm. that just run into the water. Just, they just, they, they, that's it. Oh, really? And wow. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a, of a mess over there right now, and Mother Nature's going to win here. The lake's coming back, uh, with the snow melt. They expect it to get even worse. Um, combined with the fact that they were pumping out the aquifers, and a lot of the area has sunk two feet, roughly, from what it once was, and they've got you know, dikes and levees and stuff that they're trying to bolster and build up. But there's a big problem happening in at, at Tulare and Tulare Lake uh, right now. And it's only going to get worse as the weather warms and the snow melts. And so that's a pretty strong agricultural area as well, right? There's quite huge. a bit of, of uh, production that, all, of everything all, from... Huge number and a huge number of farmland is literally, literally underwater right now, right now. This is going to be more pressure on your right, food, well. food, food prices. I'm going to invite a guest. Inflation from the Lari Lake. From Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E. I'm going to invite a guest. I, ha I have a, a connection with a, uh, a geology professor who specializes in aquifers. And um, I'm going to see if I can get okay. him to come on the show. And we should we should talk about okay. this a little bit because this is this is okay. a crisis in the making uh, for the people in Tulare. It's a crisis sure. right now, but I think for others, and I think this is a global issue, particularly with climate change. So that this, and that's is the, the the tease I had coming up was that yeah, uh, I want to try to get I'd someone really, on here to tell yeah. talk to us about it. Yeah, I'd really like to hear more on that um, because okay. it is. You know, it's it's obviously related to just changes that we've seen in the weather overall, yeah. and these changes seem to be more extreme. This year, as an example, in California, there was quite a bit more uh, rainfall than normal, and the, also too the the snow pack is pretty large right now. Reservoirs have started to fill up. That's good news, right? But this runoff is going to be hitting us sometime in you know, maybe June, July this year. And, uh, you know, who knows the repercussions of that. Right. The, the, the so. flooding in the, in the relatively valleys, flatlands of California are 
have a long history. Um, in the early days, uh, when California became a state, uh, the capital was actually in San Jose. Um, and Oh, really? Yeah. And the reason that it got moved from San Jose to Sacramento was because it continued to flood. <laughs> it's, it's a Santa Clara Valley is a relatively low, low line Valley. It's pretty much at sea level. Mm -hmm. The San Francisco Bay yeah. goes right up against it, right? The, the South, South end of the Bay. Um, mm -hmm. We get sea level rise. You got water runoff. You got things like that. Um, these lowlands have a history of flooding and, um, you know, let's, let's, let's do that Add a add a foot of water and throughout Santa Clara County and how many companies are along highway 237 right up against the bay that are, their headquarters are going to be a foot and a half, two feet, three feet of water on the, all the ground floor. What are we going to, what's going to happen to, right? So this is something that I think is a, a pretty big deal. I would love to hear from an expert on uh, geology and aquifers and water runoff and how's it, what's going to happen. What are the area, geographic areas that we should be looking at globally? What industries are in those globe are in those areas and what, what what's going to happen? You know, let, let, let's get some information and avoid a crisis. Okay. So once again, here we are, Ray, at the uh, end of our time, it goes by so fast. Yeah. Um, so Again, we look forward to hearing from our audience and our listeners and uh, recommend us to others. And we love having uh, your insights. So any thoughts, go ahead and send it to uh, Ray at avoidcrisis.com or Alan at avoidcrisis.com. And we'll be sure to get the email and we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. All right. Sounds great, Alan. Thanks. Always All a right. pleasure. Thanks for, thanks, for the, thanks for the time. I enjoy, I enjoy our chats. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you.